In my opinion, that sucked. If you want to crown them, then crown their ass. But they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. Ah, yes, we are delivering the post-mortem after what I would say is the Philadelphia Union's best season of all time. Unfortunately, it did not end the way that we wanted it to end. It didn't end the way they wanted it to end. And quite frankly, it shouldn't have ended that way at all. You know, to have a COVID outbreak and 11 guys unavailable and just, you know, regardless of the circumstances, that's that's never the way it should happen after you go through month after month after month of everybody following the rules and doing what they're supposed to do their second season of dealing with the COVID stuff for it to come all the way down to this it's just you know it's just disappointing you're disappointed for them you know I mean forget how you feel as a fan just imagine what those guys are going through having busted their ass all season long um, worked as hard as they did you know try to keep themselves safe and everybody's safe and then it comes down to this it just sucks you know there's no other way to put it. It just sucks. You know, one game away from MLS Cup, everything lined up perfectly for him. No Valentin Castellanos playing at home against New York City. And, uh, you know, then that happens, right? So, anyway, this is a mailbag podcast. And uh, sorry it took me a week to get around to it. You know, there was always going to be stuff that developed anyway. Uh, the roster decisions at MLS Cup and, you know, a couple trades and things like that, not involving the union, but there's always transactions that take place the week after all this stuff. And so I figured I'd just wait for a little bit. And uh, I do have a bunch of questions from from you guys that we'll get to in a second. But um, first, let's just recap the game real quick. And we'll go over the article that I wrote last week for Crossing Broad about the uh, the multiple vectors that played a, a role in this in this nonsense, right? First things first. I mean, from the game, really, it's it's pretty simple, isn't it? You know, just a couple of mistakes and key moments on those goals. I, I thought, in general, like those dudes came in who hadn't played in a long time. Stuart Finley, Aurelian Collin, uh, <laughs> they're just they're fantastic, man. They're fantastic, and it was great to see them play that way, turn back the clock, and, and rise to the occasion, and uh, junk up the game early. You know, frustrate New York. Um, you know, carve out a couple half chances here and there. They pressed like they were like they did last year. You know, and I thought Jim got it right in the way that you know we talk about two philosophies here. When you have an inexperienced, not an inexperienced backline, but a backline that hasn't played in a long time. Um, and you're just trying to protect everybody, and that's where the weakness is, and that's where you're missing most of your guys. You have two philosophies here. You can pull a, uh, Jose Mourinho and park the bus and just absorb, or you can defend forward and try to press and try to frustrate the other team and, and protect your uh, protect your back line by keeping the ball away from them, right? So that's what they did, and they looked more like the team that they were last year. The energy was great. The stadium was great. All that stuff was great. I got nothing bad to say about the approach at all, you know. And listen, the first goal, the goal that they scored – Credit to Jamiro Montero and Daniel Goshdog for, for uh, you know, working out of a tight space there and seeing an early ball to Casper Shabilko. You know, I thought that was great recognition by them to get their head up and look and identify and see what was there. And you have to give credit to Brujo Martinez, too, at the same time, because if you go back even further on the highlights, it was a, a press and a win and a defensive turnover that, that actually started that whole sequence in and of itself. So he was great. Leon Flock was great. Jack McGlynn was great. Um, 
you know, ironically, it was Olivier Mbiza, the only starter of the back five who was available. And I know that he missed a couple of games because he was in the protocol, right? So he hadn't, hadn't played in a little bit. But it's ironic that he was getting a lot of the heat for making the mistakes. And um, look, I think on the on the first goal, you know, the shot actually comes in from the center back, right? So they kind of get clustered over to the right, and there's nobody. Chibilko's coming back over, and he's trying to address Chanel, Maxime Chanel. And uh, it's okay. Like, normally a guy's going to uncork one from 35 yards. You feel fine about it, you know. Um, Matt Freeze kind of took a step to his right. It looked like he was anticipating it going that way. And if you look at the back angle, it did have a little bit of swerve on it. So I think that's why he was kind of off-put by it. And, uh, you know, he should probably catch it um, or obviously parry it, you know, anywhere else but where he parried it down to. So that's mistake number one. Mistake number two, you could say Nathan Harriel should probably follow his guy in. Uh, those are tough because the, the, you know, naturally you, you're just inclined to kind of watch that shot shot come in from forever. You know, you don't think to turn and look at where your guy's going for a rebound. You don't think the ball's going to bounce there, but it did. So he should follow his guy through. Um, and then Olivier Mbizo on the on the, you know, when when Harriel's guy comes through and kind of jars the ball loose and keeps the play alive. You know, Mbizo's just standing there on the back post and lets his guy. Uh, Let's Morales kind of just go right in unimpeded and hammer it home. So one one, and they just switched off a bit there, and it was a combination of things. You know, tough goal to give up. Um, I would have loved to see what would happen if that goal didn't go in, and if they could have you know battened down the hatches and played for the one nothing, and kind of kept junking it up and playing a defensive game. You know, um, and then look, the game winner. I mean, there's really not much to say. You know, Olivier has to take that ball out of the air and just clear it. You watch it back again. You see he does take a glance over his shoulder. And uh, he knows that somebody's there. So if you know somebody's there, just head it out. You know, just hack it out. Do do anything, you know, but you can't let that ball bounce there. And if you are going to let it bounce there, you know, you have to put your body between the ball and the man. And he didn't. He tried to reach a foot up and stick it out. And, uh, you know, everybody else in the defense was trying to recover. I do think Aurelian Collin maybe could have tried to slide there and just guess that somebody was behind him because Harriel was trying to get in front of Talos Magno and um, – you know, coming coming from the backside, trying to recover from whatever position he was in. It's hard to blame either one of those guys. It's hard to blame Freeze because they don't expect that ball is going to bounce and and Baezo is going to make that mistake in the first place. So, um, I don't know, man. What else can I say? Uh, I just got to give credit to Colin and and Finley and Leon Flock played a great game and uh, Harriel was good and these guys really stepped it up. You know, I, I think everybody should be proud of the effort that they put in and the way that they played to keep themselves in it and. You know, this was a game until the final couple of minutes, so you can't ask for much more than them. It doesn't mean that it's not any any less disappointing, but um, that's how it goes. All right, moving on to the next bit of business here. The story I did on the site last week, um, you know, trying to get to the bottom of what was going on with the COVID stuff. And look, I know some people read it and they felt like they had more questions um, than answers, and uh, I understand that. And I, to be honest, I felt the same way too, because... The honest truth was that they don't really have a, a full grasp of what exactly happened here. It, it was the identification of these multiple vectors um, that the sources that I talked to were totally sure of, but they weren't exactly sure which one was to blame more than the others. Was it two out of three? Was it all three at the same time? Was it just one? Um, you know, those were the that's what they were trying to figure out. In addition, they were kind of. My understanding is that they were popping inconclusive tests, you know, negative, then positive, and then negative, and, you know, all of it kind of kind of came together to form really like a perfect storm of like, oh, crap, you know, so that's really what it was. I, I didn't want to, you know, 
I know in other uh, publications that my story probably would, would have not passed the uh, editorial quality test. You know, but it's a good thing that, uh, you know, we don't have those strict guidelines like everybody else does. And I would always prefer to give you something rather than nothing. Even if the something is incomplete, I would rather fans be presented with something rather than nothing. And you guys know that I was, you know, I, I've always had good union sources and I've, I have a track record of breaking stuff going back six or seven years now. So hopefully, you know, people look back at that and say, Hey, look, even if this is a little loose here, like we, we trust Kevin's reporting and the people that he's talking to. So listen, just a quick recap here. Um, in addition to players, the staffer, there were staffers that went into the protocol as well. Uh, I don't know if it was in the photos, but if you go back to training from that week, there was one, one of the coaching staff guys is not there, right? So it affected them too. Um, one of the possible vectors was a player's significant other. I use the term significant other. It's a wife or a girlfriend, but I don't know. We really don't know if they're married or not. So I didn't want to use wife or girlfriend. Uh, cause I don't, I don't know what's accurate. So one, one, a player's significant other was identified as a possible vector. Um, a second player was in contact with a family member uh, who traveled to the United States uh, from overseas. So that was number two. The third one is Imbizo, um, who was caught up in that mess of of the Cameroon team, you know, where they were in South Africa playing Malawi. And the irony there is that FIFA said that Malawi needs to go to South Africa because the facilities they have in their country aren't good enough. So they went down to Johannesburg and they played them there. They went four nothing. Olivier played ninety minutes in that game, and uh, you know they came back to Cameroon and played uh, somebody else um, in Douala, which is um, not the capital, but the second biggest city. I think Yaoundé is the capital. Uh, I'm not sure. I have to ask Joel Embiid just for clarity, but um, or Pascal Siakam too. But listen, so you know. Chupo Max Chupo Moting um, came came back to Bayern and they had the issue there too, you know. And uh, a bunch of the Cameroon guys were dealing with this. So Olivier at some point went into health and safety protocol. It's just the timeline of that is kind of funky. Is what you're trying to figure out. There's a video of him coming back to practice with Jamiro uh, on the Wednesday before every before the Thursday practice was canceled. So my understanding is that there was stuff that was like positive, negative, inconclusive or whatever. And then all the shit kind of hit the fan that Wednesday night into the Thursday, which is why they had to cancel um, that Thursday. So um, what I was told is that the Andre Blake birthday party rumor wasn't like a thing um, because, you know, even though players were having these like gatherings and um, well, first of all, there was Stuart Finley was at the birth. It was in the birthday party video or whatever right and he played in the game right so it didn't it didn't spread through the birthday party or whatever they were thanksgiving gatherings and other things like that but they weren't but the guys were not the thing that was like reiterated to me like a hundred times over was that they weren't doing anything that was uh you know considered reckless or a violation or a breaking of the rules or anything like that you know you know in olivier's case it was just really unfortunate that south africa that we didn't know about omicron at the time but that was kind of the ground zero of omicron was in south africa so they went to south africa and it just it is what it is you know i, I don't want people to think that you know somebody accused me of like piling on him or whatever after he made the mistakes some fucking asshole on on Reddit. Reddit sucks anyway. Like you know, I don't really trust anything anybody writes on there. But he's like, well, the author seems like the author was bitter about uh, you know Olivier and Baza making a couple mistakes in the game and decided to pile on by blaming him um, for the COVID outbreak. Motherfucker, that's not even close to what the thing is. You know, like I, I wouldn't pile on a, a player if you know it wasn't warranted or whatever it, it very clearly stated in the article that nobody was was believed to have been doing anything reckless or, or in violation of the rules 
So that's coincidence there. Don't try to go into my brain and think that I'm going to be unfair to a guy and blame him for something because I'm upset that he made a mistake in the game. Like, dude, please, come on. Um, so get that out of your head. That has nothing to do with it. Um, these were just the, the different vectors that kind of came up at the same time. And it, it was just described to me by everybody as just being, like, unfortunate, you know? And, like, there's stuff coming in from everywhere at the same time. And um, if you want to blame anything, you know... I, Blame, you know, MLS probably could have updated their protocols a little bit, you know, to to identify close contacts versus positive tests and kind of kind of cleared that up a little bit so that it wasn't just like, hey, these are the guys who tested positive. Let's put them off to the side, which is guys who are just around, you know, other dudes, which kind of complicated the whole thing, you know. So, um, you know, in a perfect world, they move things back, you know, and. You know, but they told, but Tannenwald got the quotes from MLS that said that that was never really a consideration to move the game back, you know. So um, it is what it is, and now we're uh, we're living with it. So um, that, that's it. I, I don't, again, I, I just want people to reiterate, like, nothing reckless. They were not accused of breaking rules or violating anything at all. There are multiple vectors here. It's not necessarily in Baizo. It's not necessarily the other two things. It could have been all three at the same time. So, um, you know, I wish I had a little bit more for you, but, uh, hopefully appreciate, hopefully people appreciate something versus nothing. All right, let's, uh, go back to the questions and the comments and the concerns here. And sorry, it took me a couple of days to get around to this. Hopefully none of it's dated, but, um, we will try to quote unquote, advance the story as they say in the journalism business. So we'll, uh, see what we can do here. All right. Uh, Jared Tottenham, Brighton, uh, Tottenham, Brighton got postponed because seven players and two staffers had COVID. Is that simply because it was in the middle of the season and not time restrictive? Uh, I saw from Tannenwald's story that it was never going to be postponed. And if anything, it would have been a forfeit. Yeah. So Dan Cordemanche is the, uh, like the, like the main communications guy, I guess you would call him for, uh, MLS. And he told John that if, even if they pushed the, 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 uh, you know, the game back a couple of days or whatever, it wouldn't have mattered because they were still the guys who were in the protocol wouldn't have been cleared by that point anyway. Right. So, and again, you go, I, I forgot to say this earlier, but you go in the protocol. If you test positive, if you're, if you're like an unvaccinated close contact, right. Or whatever. And from my understanding is that everybody on the team's vaccinated, right. So that should confirm the positive tests, um, for those guys, you know? So again, that's what I was saying. It was like a clusterfuck and there was stuff coming in from, from all different directions or whatever, you know? Uh, it was interesting cause Jim said that these guys had the sniffles, the quote unquote sniffles, you know, and they could have played, but, uh, you know, maybe that suggests if you want to be a conspiracy theorist and say that it was the Omicron thing that came back from South Africa talking about, uh, it being more transmissible, but less, um, what's the word that like Fauci and them are using like the efficacy or it's not as you know, strong or whatever, like the symptoms aren't as strong. I mean, maybe that could, that would lend itself to something like that. Um, this is from Mike. He says uh, estimates on the Albright to Tanner ratio on importance in terms of player identification and recruitment. Uh, any recent signing trends that probably won't change, uh, that probably change without Albright. Yeah. You know, those are hard to say. Like we get different, um, you know, stories about, you know, I know Chris went out and scouted Jay Simpson, and I think he was the one who went down and looked at Sergio Santos, too. But again, that's not to say that, like, Ernst or other people didn't identify those guys, and then he kind of just went out there to look at him, you know. My understanding is that at the beginning, Chris was, like, really helpful with the salary cap and navigating all of those kinds of things. It was less about the player identification and signing. So um, I think Tanner, Ernst Tanner, is still the guy who kind of points to, like, hey, we're looking at this guy or that guy. And now they'll have somebody kind of replace Chris to help, like, on the on the back end uh, with, you know, 
contracts and the cap and Tam and Gan and all that stuff. Even though even though Ernst has now had a couple of years to familiarize himself with it, you know. So um it's from Zach. Uh who are a few realistic forwards you think the union could sign, uh whether it be aging Euro players, players in their primes or mid tier leagues, um, or young up and coming forwards. Um you know, it's interesting to me because uh, you kind of are looking at different philosophical things here. Like a lot of the guys that they've had success with are like less heralded, grinder, hungry, like younger, not superstar kind of dudes, you know. So if you go out and look for that kind of person as a striker, I mean, does that work? You know, like can you – hard work and hustle and press yourself to scoring a bunch of goals. I don't really know. Or do you go with like grinders in the midfield and blue collar dudes in defense and then, you know, pay the money for a DP striker. You know, I think you go the latter because striker is just one of those positions where you put the more money you put into it, the more you get out of it. You know, look at all the deep quality DPs that have been in this league over the years. Um, you know, listen, I, I don't I don't know why they couldn't go to like the Bundesliga and pull like maybe like a thirty or thirty one year old dude who's looking to come over to the United States or do something different. Uh maybe pull like the top top guy out of like uh you know, the second division in Germany or something like that. Um I would love a, like a like a Wout Weghorst kind of dude who's like a bigger dude can win balls in the air, can give you a little bit of hold up play at the same time. But again the question is like are they gonna play are they playing four four two now? Or are they going to play Christmas tree coming out next year? You know, if you go back to the four four two, assuming that Burke and Santos and Chibilka will stay, I mean, they they've they're all still on the roster at this point. Um, then you go back to the four four two and you pair Sergio with one of those guys. You know, so I don't know. You look at dudes who were like in that like eight to fourteen goal range in the Bundesliga last year. You have some like older guys like Stindl from Mönchengladbach, you've got Max Cruz from Union Berlin, um, Patrick Schick's not going anywhere, right? Marco Royce, you bringing him over? <laughs> I mean, I'd love for them to make a make a play for one of these dudes, you know? Um, it's just hard to say. I mean, I don't I don't know what their philosophy is there, you know? So I don't know what kind of dudes they're looking for, but they need one, you know? I was kind of disappointed, to be honest, to see that Shabilko and... Santos and Burke were all coming back, you know, because those, those three aren't, aren't cutting it, you know. Um, all right, here's the hypothetical here from Adam. He says, would you rather listen to the blippy toothbrushing song for 90 minutes or um, have watched MLS Cup Final at Yankee Stadium? I'm going to say this is an N slash A for me. It's not applicable because I have listened to the blippy toothbrush song for what feels like 90 minutes. You know, it's like four minutes long, right? We do it twice a day seven days a week. So that's four minutes plus four minutes, eight minutes, eight times seven. So I spend 56 minutes a week, almost an hour watching the blippy toothbrushing. So, yeah. but I would, I, under no circumstances would I want to watch MLS cup at Yankee stadium. Absolutely not. Uh, Dr. Silent G, he says, is Elliot going to stay since they extended Glessness? You know, he could play multiple positions at a pinch. So it was valuable to keep himself. Listen, man, they should do everything they can to keep both of those guys together. Was the best damn defense that the Union have ever had. Better, I think, than the Carlos Valdez, Danny Califf combo from 2011 because you know Peter was playing a really, really defensive. Well, I don't know. Now that I think about it, I don't think that take makes a lot of sense now because they had Brian Carroll, prime Brian Carroll, in front of them. You had Jose Martinez in in front of uh, Glessness and Elliott. So it's like both of those spines, defensive postures, same 
kind of philosophy there. I mean, it was hard to say for me, but they should try to do everything they can to keep all of them, you know. Stuart Finley, get him, get him some more games, you know. Um, I, I don't think that Glessis and Elliott are going to play as much. Play, like, it's rare for two center backs to play and stay healthy as much as they did this year, you know. So I think there'll be more room for Finley naturally, right? So um, Joe says, th- thank you for getting to the bottom of the COVID fiasco. Great work and appreciated by the fan base. Oh, it's, listen... It's my pleasure. I just hope people were satisfied with it. I know, I know, you know, there were questions that were unanswered there, but you know, again, I would just say that that was that was kind of the the, the gist of it. You know, is that they just really did not know one hundred percent for sure which one of those vectors was to uh, was to blame. Uh, Joe House, U.S. Rover, he says, "How do they turn off so quickly after the go ahead goal?" Um, yeah, I, you know, I don't know. You're just like, I think naturally, like when you're a player you just have this like release, you know, um, where you score the goal, you're busting your ass. You're like full adrenaline for however long you're on the field. And then all of a sudden it just like empties kind of a little bit. It's like, Oh, we got to pause here. We get to breathe and you got to kind of turn it back up, you know, in New York city to their credit just came down the field and started banging the ball around and, and got themselves in a good position, you know? So those letdowns happen. I don't think it has anything to do with them, you know, physically or tactically or anything like that. They just had a couple brain farts on a bad sequence there and, and a couple bounces went New York's way, you know? Vince asks, uh, what now? Who is the number nine that completes this team and what happens to Cashburr? And just because it'll be good to hear rate Colin and Finley's performances. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not I'm not impressed or inspired by, you know, those three coming back. Expansion draft lists come out a little later today. I'm actually recording on Monday, so they'll be out in like two two and a half hours, so they may be out by the time you hear this. And uh, you know, I mean, we'll see who's protected and whatnot. There's always a chance, you know, Charlotte could take uh you know, like, like a Corey Burke or a Sergio or something if they if, or a Cashper if they're unprotected. But uh, they need a guy who who you know look if they're going to play with the with the one striker again. You need somebody who's going to be able to hold the ball up. You know, and if they're going to play with the two, then they need somebody to replace Cashper's finishing. You know, because neither, neither of those guys were finishing at all. You know, Sergio was getting into spots, Corey was getting into spots, Cashper uh, was barely doing anything. So um, a finisher depending on what their philosophy is, two strikers or one. I don't know. Um, this is from Trey. Uh, he says, first, I wanted to say thank you for putting this podcast series together. Great content. I always look forward to the next edition. P- please keep up the great work. Listen, it's my pleasure. As long as everybody's listening, I'm happy to do this. Uh, and a question is, uh, do you think they'd bring in uh, do you think they need to bring in another high-quality center mid along with a striker? You know, the lack of shuttling ability with Bedoya and Flock made the team uh, look disconnected at points. It did. And, uh, you know, we talked about that on this podcast. We talked about that on the post-game show where, you know, they didn't really have to worry about what they were getting from the other shuttler position really when, you know, Ollie was able to get forward, you know, especially like earlier in the year and last year when he would work with Ray up the flank or he'd work with Ilsenio up there or, uh, you know, Olivier earlier in this season, you know, but with Leon having very little to no offensive game at all, um, you know, unless there's a scenario where they sell Brujo and they move Leon back to the sixth, uh, keep Bedoyev at right mid for another season and, and have Jamiro either play the eight or, you know, a shuttler with some kind of attacking ability. Maybe Jack McGlynn's ready to take that next step. Um, you could you could look at it that way, you know. Um, otherwise, I would say, yes, I do think they need to bring in that person. I don't know. And I don't know what Bueno is. I don't know what Jesus Bueno is. You know, maybe he is that guy. Um, 
I really, really like McGlynn. I think he's got a lot to give. I don't think the four four two diamond is his best position, though. You know, I think he's kind of that's it's hard for him to be creative when you have that two way kind of you know d- defensive responsibility at the same time. They when they played the Christmas tree, I thought he was really good in it, and when they played um, uh, what were they? And they were in like a four two three one for a little bit, where I think he was playing as the eight, like that Jabby Alonso kind of eight, where you know you got the D mid behind you mopping up, and you can just boot the ball all over the place. So. Excited to see him, but I, I wonder where they use him, where they put him, you know. Uh, Giants Dumpster Fire says, who would be the hardest player to replace if they leave uh, via trade or transfer? Um, hardest player to replace. You know, I, I hate to say it because it's like, you know, they're, oh, you know, no, I have, a, I have a good answer. I have a good answer. I think Kai Wagner is the hardest to replace by far. All-star left back, you know, by far. Think of the left backs that we've had on this team before. Dudes who aren't even left footed. You know. Now they have an all star who's like really, really damn good. So I think it's hard that's the position that's hardest to find, you know. Um Sam says be interested to hear your thoughts on who to protect, expose in the upcoming expansion draft. Yeah, listen, I mean this may be dated at this point, but I think it's like you know, you have uh you know, your homegrowns, I guess, are protected, right? Um so you'd have to protect Blake Elliot Glessness, Wagner, Mbizo, Flock, Bedoya, Brujo, Gosh Dog, Jamiro. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, f- I can't remember what the number is, but I guess then you would leave expo- exposed. The guys who are like <sighs> a risk to be exposed are Santos Burke. Uh, I would leave Cashper unprotected too, you know. Um, Finley, Bueno, Elsino. Uh, I don't know. You know, it, it's only one team coming in. And it's not the expansion draft isn't as as brutal as it used to be, and the Uni don't have a history really of losing guys in the expansion draft, so it's all right. You know, uh, the number is twelve. I'm sorry, you can protect twelve homegrowns, auto protected. Um, you know, Bendick will be out too. Bendick, Bueno, Finley, uh. Sergio, Corey Burke, Cashbert, whatever combination of strikers they do there. So, um, Ernst Tanner said they want to get a bona fide number nine. Jay Locke says, what does that mean? What does it mean, a bona fide number nine? It means a guy who can score 15 goals a year. You know? Like, the, the union need a 15-goal score. Like, that's what they need. <laughs> you know? They got, the, they got the defense, they got the midfield, they got everything else. Don't have to make a ton of changes. You know, it depends who wants out. You know, and who they're going to transfer and replace on those guys. But you could bring back this team next year and just swap out Cashbury for a real striker, and they'll be just as good as they were. So, um, Alex says, "Do you believe Tanner when he says he's hunting for an actual DP striker?" I do. I do. I absolutely do. Uh, Phil in me, P- PHL in me, says if they actually upgrade the striker position in the offseason, do you anticipate bringing one of the current big three to come back to? Uh, if not, who is most likely to go? It seems like they prefer the four four two. Play the four three two one out of necessity based on personnel. I would agree with that, that last part. I think that Jim and Ernst want to be a four four two team. I think they want to play with two strikers. And, you know, the Christmas tree, remember, it was just born out of like, hey, we don't have anybody else right now. You know, we have got, we've got guys in the midfield, um, but we don't have, you know, any, any extra beef up top, you know. Where's the beef, as the Wendy's lady said in the commercials. Um, 
but that's really the question. I, you know, if they go back to four four two, you know, you bring in your DP striker, if, and if the other three guys stick around, then you need four strikers to play two positions. You know, considering that one of them is always probably always going to be injured or not available or whatever. So three guys for two spots or four guys for two spots in a pinch. You put a gauge dog up there. You put another midfielder up there. Or you go back to your Christmas tree if you have to. You know, so they're not going back to the four two three one uh, anytime soon because they don't have wingers. You know, they don't they don't get they don't sign wingers. They don't. Trade, trade for wingers they don't bring those guys in even when they did it last year a little bit you know they're putting guys there who really were not natural wingers in those positions so um let me see oh zach says do you expect montero to leave or is he suddenly happy again i don't know i could see him leaving you know um they patched up whatever the problems were uh down the stretch here but i could see him wanting to go back to europe and try to make you know if he's ever gonna like go back to europe i think now's the time you know so He's that age, you know, he's playing internationally. Um, if he wanted to go back to the Netherlands or, or France or give it another try, you know, I don't think he has anything left to prove here, you know. I thought he had an okay season. I thought he was better last season for sure. I just like him better as an eight, you know. Don't really like him as a ten. I think he's. I think he was a really, really good um, – I think he's a good ten. I think he's a better eight. So I think, we, I think we were all kind of consistent probably believing that this year. I think a lot of people believe that. A lot of questions about striker. I don't know. Maybe that's got to be a separate podcast or something. I can come up with a list of guys and you know see who's realistic and whatnot. Um, Eric says one of one of the great what ifs is if that Harriel header goes in right before the Imbiza brain fart. I know, man. He got up. He got up on that one. You know, he's aimed for the top corner. Normally, you want the guy to hit it down if he can. It gets hard. Hitting it down at an angle is really hard. Um, and if he held that down just a little bit, you know, then it's. Two to one, you know. Uh, Kevin O'Donnell says, what did you think of Danny Higginbottom on the broadcast? Much better or much, 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 much better. Um, I feel like they duped one in the old onion bag with that hire. Probably the best, yeah, I, by far the best uh, color commentary guy that they've had by far. Danny was awesome, you know. Would like to get him back on the show again maybe before next year. So, um, I think that's it. Yeah, there was some other... Uh, somebody DM'd me one, I think, but I can't. I don't think I can find it in here. Um, oh, here's one in a different thread. Uh, what is Quinn Sullivan's best position? Is it on the wing? Um, and if it's on the wing, do you think they try four, three, two, one again at any point? I don't know. I don't think he's a. Uh, he's like a tweener. He's like a Fontana. You know, he's just like a like a put him in the hole and let him attack. You know, he's kind of like I think if the best position if I was building a team around Quinn Sullivan, you play him like as a. Like a like a you know, four four one one and play him in the hole, you know, play him as like that withdrawn striker, play him in like the Roland Alberg position or something, you know. Um, yeah, that's about it. Listen, um, great season. I appreciate everybody, um, you know, being with us through the year. It sucks that it ended that way for sure, but uh, you know, I feel like we got some good guests on and we were able to, you know, even with the two kids in the house and a full time job, I feel like we, we did a good amount of shows this year and um was able to commit to to doing you know a good uh, a good podcast and giving people what they were looking for so um yeah look uh things slow down again and we get things under control here and get the covid stuff under control and i my daughters are able to maybe um do some things on their own and don't require uh 24 7 supervision we'll get back out to down the stadium and you know do a live show again and um you know maybe we'll we'll um you know do a 
belated five year celebration or or something like that. You know, we had a lot of plans and we had to had to cancel and postpone this year because of, of a variety of things. But uh, yeah, I appreciate you guys uh, sticking with it. You know and uh supporting the show and uh we'll get some more good guests lined up for the winter and i'll probably take a little bit of a break here you know through the holidays but um we'll we'll get back on it um sooner rather than later for sure so that's about it for now 30 some minutes here appreciate everybody for um for uh listening this year and uh yeah we'll see you then